What's up, Metal Maniacs? This is Judas Priestcast. And you've got another episode coming. Hell yeah, we do. We're here to talk about Judas Priest, but not just that. We're also making friends around the world, having conversations about interesting and important topics in the metal scene. Our mission this month is to talk to queer creators and musicians in metal community who are actively advocating for issues that the queer community are facing these days. And now you've got one of the loudest and proudest people in the metal scene right now, Alicia Cordisco. You might know her from a variety of awesome bands, most recently the ceiling-shattering thrash metal album Extreme Transgression, released by her nonprofit band Transgressive this past April, raising thousands of dollars for the charity Trans Lifeline. And that's not all. Alicia's progressive power metal band Project Rowanwolf released their new album on June 2nd. So clearly, you're always writing, always creating, and you flex your musical muscles, so to speak, by exploring a bunch of different styles of metal, which is cool. It's one of the things that makes you fun to follow as a musician, in addition to your consistent and inspiring message. So, hey, I think it's time to turn it over to you, Alicia, so you can tell us about you and your music in your own words. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you both for having me on today. I'm really excited to talk metal and talk Judas Priest, of course. And thank you for the lovely introduction. So happy to get to chat with you guys today. Yeah, so a little about me. I've been, oh goodness, I've been playing and listening to metal for about 20 years now. And I've done a lot in that time. What I really have done in the last couple of years is kind of find my kind of find myself in a way for what I really want to focus on. And that's what transgressive is really about. Um, it's kind of the fruit, it's kind of the I guess you could say the the apex of what I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, I've always wanted to have a band that was very visibly political and very visibly loud in its mission statement um, and in a lens where I could be kind of unrestrained in what I am advocating for musically. So transgressive really is just kind of like a a shackles off moment for me as an artist where I get to be extremely vulnerable, extremely loud, um, and just kind of damn the consequences from there. And, uh, it's a thrash metal band, of course. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of punk and political attitude baked into a thrash metal band kind of inherently, but, uh, I really found that was the best vehicle to do so. You know, I also play power metal. I play funeral doom. I've got a few different bands going on right now. Project Rowan Wolf just released our third album, Wraith Storm. My Funeral Doom band is going to be releasing a second album this year. And uh, I've got a few more other things in the works um, that have not yet been announced. So I just kind of, I really like to, um, you know, explore the different music that I want to play and I want to hear. And uh, I really like being able to not only have a message, but walk that message as well. That's right. You talk the talk and you walk the walk. Like we mentioned before, your project, Transgressive, started out as a nonprofit, and it still is. It started to raise funds for abortion rights. That was on the first EP and single, and that was intended to be all it ever was going to be. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like you were really striking a chord with people with your loud, overt message. And then out of that came the debut full length, 
of which all the proceeds went to Trans Lifeline. With this project, you've had the chance to just, again, spread the word and not be subtle about it, to talk about all the societal ills that we're facing in 2023. And you're making the money that's also going towards helping the victims by donating it back to Trans Lifeline. So you're one of the heroes in the metal community right now who's really just trying to make this world a better place with your music. I appreciate that so much, George. That's it's very flattering. And thank you for that. I mean, all I can say is like you are doing what we uh, like came to metal for. At least for me, I can say that like I am a very politically opinionated person since I was a kid. So that's why I gravitated towards metal because it was a genre where these things were more frequently talked about. However, like since when I actually got to interact with metalheads or, you know, saw these people, a uh, certain chunk of them like kind of had this how do I put it, conservative mentality. and But you people put the trust back in that. Like, yeah, we are here to do good. We are here to empower the people who deserve to be empowered, to help the people who deserve to help the people we are singing for. So that is why I'm so grateful that you are doing all this. Well, thank you so much. And I really relate on what you said uh, about what draws you to metal. I was very similar as a as a young kid. That countercultural aspect of it, that calling out authority, that willingness to speak about like raw and real issues really appealed to me, you know, as a confused teenager trying to find her place in the world and and having like, you know, being a closeted queer person in a in a generally conservative and religious area and upbringing for me, that was my outlet to to really find yeah, the yeah. words. Yeah, to find the words to speak for myself when I didn't have the language yet. You know, I didn't have the ability to speak to my full person and I didn't have the understanding and the knowledge and the life experience at 15, you know, that I do at 33. So it was always that draw of feeling empowered, like you said, definitely pulled me into heavy metal in a big way. And yeah, dealing with the conservative reactionary elements definitely felt shocking at times, still feels shocking at times. Some of the some of the things people say to me <laughs> in response to what I do is just, my goodness, I, I, I have to wonder. But really, I think at its core, metal resonates with outsiders more than it does with the reactionary element. And that's what I think is so wonderful about it as a vehicle for protest music, as a vehicle for empowered music. So I, I love that I get the opportunity to to live that and and to do that and and to have those those uh, resources and gifts and, and friends and community to be able to do that because that's what it's all about for me at the end of the day. We hear you. Yeah, you do what you do and you write the music you write for the people. And it's really for all oppressed people and not just those who are LGBT plus. The themes on the album Extreme Transgression, they seem to go beyond that with statements about a whole variety of injustices that could affect more people, police brutality, landlords, and outrageous inflation of rent and profiting off of people really in unethical ways. You know, 
that's something that you're not just standing up for the queer community. It's also the broader working class. Yeah, and I I appreciate that you bring up that element because I think that element is the most important to me. You know, I I transitioned as as a trans woman a few years ago, but political interest has always been important to me. You know, I've I've had political music in the past, and I've you know experienced things in my life apart from being a member of the Mm -hmm. LGBT community, and my you know I've been around. Uh, I grew up in the Southwest, which is a very interesting area of the country and have grown up in a predominantly you know, Mexican-American community. I myself am not Mexican-American, but that's that's my neighbors, that's my friends, that's the community that I've seen and grown up with and seen the government just beat the living shit out of this state and the border crisis and all these different things throughout my life. You know, I remember when they made studying Mexican American history illegal in this in this state. Like the audacity of what the overreach of yeah of the overreach. People don't talk about that. No, and and you know it barely made national news when that happened. I was in high school, I believe, when that happened, and we like we walked out of class for it. And it's only in public schools, true, but still, you know, that's most of your community here. Exactly. Yeah, always being involved with that. You know, I, I guess I was lucky in a way to have good mentors and to have good teachers and to have good friends and to have good communal experiences that exposed me to things that, you know, as a white person in America, I may not have been able to unlearn or see past my privilege. So when it comes to being political and having a platform and, and being fortunate to have a platform, I, I find my success is an exception rather than as any result of like my individual merit, you know, because it's, there's a lot of people that try and they never get the opportunity for one reason or another. So it's always important to me that it not just, while I try to speak from my own perspective, because, you know, I can speak for the issues I experience from a personal way, I find it important to always be intersectional and to always account for the bigger picture. You know, it's not just about what I experience. It's about what we all experience. It's not just about trans people. It's about everyone. It's about Black trans people, Indigenous trans people, Black cis people, people of color that aren't queer, poor people, workers, women, men, non-binary people. It's everyone, all oppressed classes. Um, And it all stems from the same power structures of imperialism, colonialism, capitalism, Etc. So I never want my focus to be so siloed on one topic, especially if it's one that only I experience, because I find that if I let my privilege as a white person blind me and only focus on issues that white trans people experience, um, then I'm failing as an ally, as a political advocator. And at best, all I would be able to do is advocate for assimilation, which I don't believe in. I think it's important to listen to a community of peers outside yourself, outside your own experience, and frame your own experience in that when it comes to political issues. You know, I'm not a political commentator expert by any means. I think I'm decently learned, and I I think I, I do a decent job of listening to people, but I know I'm imperfect, and I know that I need to keep growing and learning and and listening. So when it comes to putting political music out there and protest music out there, I do intentionally try to 
be intersectional and keep a bigger picture in mind and frame things in that bigger picture and then continue to be open to learning and, and understanding that I'm probably wrong about a lot of shit and there's things that I, I don't know and I need to listen to my peers and see what's going on in my community and always be wary of that and not be blinded because that's what they want us to do. They want us to segregate ourselves and they want us to <laughs> not be aware of what our neighbor is going through in favor of what we're going through. So that, that's a long spiel to basically say um, intersectionality is important and learning and growing is important. So that's why I like to take that focus with the music and continue to put a message out there that's for everyone and not just for one group. While I want to make sure that there is trans and queer music out there for people to relate to, I want it to go beyond that and to be truly representative of the class struggle. like amazing expand your boundaries there are a lot more to see and develop ourselves and that also i guess uh reduces the risk of getting trapped in an echo chamber where we don't like get to learn anything new or uh get new or different perspectives i think that's a really important point if you're not being challenged in in learning and growing I don't, I don't see how it's possible to see past the the privileges that you experience. You know, I, I think, especially for me as a white trans woman, I, I have to keep that in mind because there are things that I'm able to succeed at as a trans woman that I know is only because of the color of my skin and that I'm not oppressed in that way or that I had more opportunities because of, you know, coming from a, a less impoverished background or whatever it is. You know, I've got to keep those blinders off and keep myself open to criticism and learning. Otherwise, to your point, you just stop growing. Yeah. And, you know, keeping these boundaries open is like possibly the best way to achieve this growth mentality. Like you get to grow iteratively instead of like in one car, like, you know, graph. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer that if one group of people is being oppressed, it's bad for everyone. I think exactly. society is not doing well unless everyone's doing well. So yeah. the fact that you are speaking more broadly and seeing, trying at least to see the plight that everyone is going through and not just yourself, you know, that's a definite sign of maturity there. And I really do appreciate that as well. I appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, it's, it's got to be water for all instead of wine for some, if that makes sense.
here, here. Or it could be wine for all, coffee yeah. for all, beer for all. <laughs> everyone deserves a good drink. Just everyone does. That's true. I'm all here for, for luxury space gay communism if we can get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You won't hear me saying now. <laughs> so, Allie, tell me, what's your experience been like being part of the metal community as someone who's queer? And do you feel like you've been able to fit in? Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So from a fandom standpoint, I really do think that metal has an inclusive and broad fandom. I, I will say that while there are reactionary pockets of fandom, I think there's good conscious effort to exclude them in most spaces and that most people are generally aware of that and that there's a good enough separation that if you're a person who um, might be you know, under threat from that reactionary element, there is fandom and scenes and circles and communities, et cetera, out there for you to be a part of and for you to find people who are like you, people who are who are different than you that you can get along with and learn from. I do think as a fandom, we do really well compared to like 20 years ago, especially. Like you can mm -hmm. see the the change in fandom and audience over time. That's yeah. what I think we do really well. As much as our struggles have increased with this uber capitalism, this uber free market douchebaggery, we still are growing strong as community, I believe. And I think that's also possible due to this um, social media thing. Now, everyone knows what's happening. Like 20 years ago, I wouldn't have no chance to know who George is or who you were. Yeah. And here we are now. Absolutely. And and to your point, I do think that the internet and social media make that possible. Now, where we don't do well is we still have huge issues of racism, sexism, queer phobia, etc. All the all the elements of bias and prejudice that affect every niche subculture because of the systems we live under. In the mm -hmm. industry, that's still there hundred percent. And when I say the industry, I mean record labels, promoters, the people that are moving things within the industry, the people that have power, the systems that our fandom interacts with, absolutely still plagued by those issues and still plagued by people enabling those things. And while I've had quite a few doors open for me, a lot of that came before I transitioned. And mm -hmm. I understand that a lot of those doors would not have been open to me if I had been out as a trans woman before. And I know that because a lot of those doors closed after I transitioned. Many remained open. There are accepting people out there. You know, people yeah. from my, my old record labels still keep in contact with me. Plenty of my contacts at Bandcamp, Prosthetic, all those places that I've worked with in the past. Lots of good people involved in them. But I have a history there, and I can see elements of the scene where, you know, people are actively not working for a more inclusive and better scene. It's all about money. It's all about clout. It's all about prejudice. And where we can really make a difference is intentionally platforming diverse voices, diverse artists, much like you guys are doing. You guys are making an effort 
to platform different voices. You know, you've got this whole Pride Month thing going on. That's a great thing that a media outlet can do to make sure that a diverse cast of artists and voices gets heard. So the more we do that, and on the bigger levels that we do that, the better off the scene is going to be. Because I still think that, unfortunately, success and being able to maintain a platform and being able to grow in the traditional sense within the industry is still very much an exception for marginalized people rather than a rule. It still predominantly defaults to white cis straight voices, male voices, et cetera. Even though there's been progress, you know, when a when a when a black singer gets through in success in the metal scene, that's still an exception rather than truly the system is free of bias or or prejudice. And that's nothing against that artist. Like they still worked like hell to get there uh, and break through that ceiling. But like the the industry as a whole we still have to make that conscious effort from every level in every angle. So if we're talking about our favorite, you know, guitar players, got to make sure that we're being intentional about not showing our biases and not showing our unintentional biases and really make an effort to be diverse and be inclusive. So I really appreciate when people like you guys do that because I think that it is still unfortunately needed. And while I would love to live in a world where it isn't, we're just not there yet. Exactly my point. And here in Judas Priestcast, we call these authority figures, at least I do, I call them people in suits and we trash them as much as we can. At least <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And as we were discussing back when we were uh, reviewing that uh, Judas Priest Hall of Fame episode, I was referring to that thing like, you know, why did it happen before and why now? And I guess it just is my personal guess. It was because they thought it was profitable. And still, as you just mentioned, a lot of things when quote-unquote diversity is introduced even in, in a little bit, it oftentimes it is because uh, they want to tap that diversity quota, uh, get that you know recognition that we were diverse before everyone else, not for the actual reason, like the way you know they have this uh, greenwashing in like, environment friendly fuel and other systems. They just want to greenwash things, and here in these industries, they just want to you know diversity wash things. They barely want to actually uh, help them out.
you know about, uh, of course, rainbow capitalism. And uh. it's amusing if you go look up a big corporation in June and you look at their individual pages for their international branches and see which countries they do have a rainbow logo and which countries they don't use a rainbow logo yeah, because exactly. they know <laughs> they know where they would gain business and where they would lose business by mm -hmm. doing that because i mean they're interested in maximizing profits not necessarily helping you know their idea of help is to make a rainbow version of the sony logo not actually donating money to people in need but uh that's no another thing that you discussed in your uh, yeah. Yeah. To Hattie's point, I mean, I think, I think she nailed it a hundred percent. Like if you can't trust the intentions of the corporate elements to greenwashing, pinkwashing, whatever it is. Um, I never do. And, and we still see that in metal for sure. Um, not as much as, you know, some other cultures, but we've got to, we've got to fight against that to Hattie's point. Even we had used, we, we have Halford. Like, that's what we were, I guess, discussing in another previous episode. We don't have many Halfords. We only had one Halford who was, who has been doing it since like 70s, who were born in 50s. Like, where mm -hmm. are the new Halfords? Like, right. we did, a, we yeah. lost it somewhere. And now we are having people like you like bring back to us, bring that back to us. So thank you very much for that. But we need more of you. I appreciate that. And I and I agree that you know nothing there's nothing that that I've done or doing or will do that someone hasn't done before. But to me, it's about adding to the quantity, adding to the representation and and being intentional about that. Exactly. Because to your point, we don't have enough you know we have melissa moore for instance from sonia crossfitter formerly of apsu rumpelstiltskin grinder who's probably the most prominent trans woman in metal but we need like 20 of her exactly <laughs> yeah. that's what i was sure talking do. about you have all brought up great points about how we just need more queer people on stage and right up front visible there's a great podcast called hellbent for metal that is done by two gay men and their show is totally focused on gayness and metal sometimes they'll interview dudes from underground ish relatively known bands like inter arma and a legion and when i see that i'll say well i never had any idea that this person was gay just why are they keeping it a secret you know mm -hmm. they could be doing a little more to be loud and proud and advocate for their community. Although I understand if that's just not what they choose to do with their platform. But, you know, at the same time, why keep it a secret? Yeah, that's a tough one for sure. I definitely understand why some artists choose not to focus on that, whether it's for safety or whether it's just for wanting to. I, I guess the thing that I could say, just speaking to my own experience as a trans person, it sucks that oftentimes we are forced to be activists. We are forced to talk vulnerably about our experience and, and aren't given much of an option. And I, I sympathize deeply with those that don't want to have to do that. And I think that's totally valid. And I think that it would be great if we lived in a world where we were accepted enough that we wouldn't have to 
vulnerably like platform something so personal to us. In my case, I choose to. I've always been politically interested, active. I'm a geek, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I like what I'm doing. I enjoy what I'm doing. I get a fucking kick out of it. You know, somebody sends me a death threat because I wrote a, a song saying that they're a piece of shit. Like, bring it. I don't care. You're funny. I, 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 I can handle that. You know what I mean? I, I enjoy that. However, I get that that's a me thing. And some mm-hmm. people that would be more traumatizing for, and that's not a criticism to them. That's totally valid. And they shouldn't have to subject themselves to that. They shouldn't have to speak about it. They should be able to just go into an interview and be able to talk about like riffs or something, you know? So I make a very intentional play for that, but I, I do understand that for safety reasons and for just the sake of wanting to not feel like you're being dissected all the time, that some queer, trans, etc., even even well, other forms of oppression artists choose not to or would like not to. I totally respect that. Okay, so there is another thing I just wanted to mention, which is, you know, we were talking about people on stage, more diverse people on stage, more diverse people in the advocacy. But I also want to add that we need more diverse people in suits because when you get that power or those marginalized people's voice among the decision makers who gets to like make the business uh, oriented decisions, we actually get to see more fruitful progress because here we are always protesting, investing our time, doing crowdfunding just to get something going. But we actually need these people, representatives of these people, uh, communities in those decision-making points. Just we get to make big in the business as well. That's yeah. how, yeah. I, I think that's a huge, great point, Hattie. And uh, when I say the industry, that's really what I'm referring to as well. Like, to your point, if we have a diverse cast, you know, we're not getting rid of the music industry anytime soon. So if we can make the people in those decision-making situations have more diversity of of people, diversity of thought, diversity of background, et cetera, I think to your point, that will really help push progress yeah. so yeah great point and in the end it's a business and you need money to sustain it so we'll have to make the business sustainable just to get things going yeah. otherwise nothing works absolutely we're not getting rid of the business aspect anytime soon so gotta be realistic about it and that means that means advocating for that change for sure mm-hmm. look at you hattie always bringing up the great points well, it just is inside my head.
Okay, my friends. Who wants to talk about Judas Priest? Hell yeah. Allie, you've been a fan of Judas Priest for a long time, I'm assuming. And mm-hmm. I see you post about them a fair bit. And your love of the band probably translates to most of the eras, if I had to say, right? Yeah, I uh, there's a couple albums I'm not strong on. You know, one involving uh, a certain singer that isn't rob halford for sure um (laughs) but outside of that uh i pretty much i i love almost all their records front to back there's only a couple records where i'm lukewarm on some of it like i'm probably uh gonna get canceled for this take but i really don't like british steel that much (laughs) and uh Point of entry, I'm kind of lackluster on. Uh, Desert Plains yeah. is a phenomenal song, but like other than that, I don't know. <laughs> um, but outside of that, you know, the reunion era has been awesome. The 80s are fucking awesome. The 70s are untouchable. So, yeah, I'm good to go. Nice. And you mentioned the 70s, maybe saving the best for last, because today we are talking about stained class. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I know you requested this song, Alicia, so mm-hmm. if there's anything you want to say as a preamble, have at it. Yeah, I just think this album is so, so influential on metal as a whole. You can really see, you know, there's obviously a lot of 60s and 70s records that have an influence on metal as a whole. And I mean, obviously with Sabbath out there, Uriah Heep, etc., but this album really is a, a starting point of a lot of different like musical techniques and tropes that are still fundamental building blocks of the genre today. Like you do not get insane thrash down picking without this album. You do not get power metal without this album. You don't get new wave of British heavy metal without this album. Really, Judas Priest were leading the pack there. You can you can trace those elements. This is where it really starts to take shape. And you can see, you know, okay, I can see here in 1978 ideas that really didn't fully form until 1988, etc. And I just think that's so cool to see the codification of heavy metal culminating in the late 70s. You know, you have all these influences from before, but then you get onto this album in this era of metal, and it's really starting to form the picture. And that's just the coolest thing about Judas Priest, in my opinion, because their discography, you can see that or hear that as you listen to them and, and hear that building up in the same way you can with Sabbath. But I think it's a little more explicit in Priest since Sabbath is a little more focused on the doom and the slow stuff. Judas Priest really gets into influencing a lot more of the faster genres. Mm-hmm. Very true. And what's cool about Stained Class, it's the fourth album. And at that point, you can feel like if you've followed the journey from the beginning, they've really built on what they've done with each album. Sad Wings was an improvement and it built on top of the ideas that started on Rockerola and then so on with Sin After Sin. And then in Stained Class, it really culminates before they kind of tear it down and go in a different direction with killing machine yeah absolutely and to the song in question the title track i feel like the default for the influential songs on this one is to point to exciter and beyond the realms of death uh, because exciter is like one of the first speed metal songs along with you know a couple of rainbow songs and a couple of riot songs 
and then beyond the realms of death really just kind of defined like the traditional heavy metal power ballad but mm-hmm. stained class itself i think is underrated as a pick for influential because it's got heavy as hell galloping some really uh. just like low crunchy riffs and and yeah it's harder to hear because they use you know it's the 70s it's light gain on the guitars and and the production is more thin but like if you play that in a modern context that song is heavy as hell and really has like some building blocks of thrash in there and the way the guitar melodies are layered over top the riffs it's very like power metal building block there just super cool song in that in that way and structurally it's got it's such an adventure so uh, that's why I picked it. Yeah, and thematically, it's so like packed with re- rebellion and mm-hmm. anguish, political elements. I mean, they are not uh, pointing finger at anything, but it's very generalized rebel song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and I love the uh, I love the lyrical idea in it of like that man isn't inherently evil. I, I think that's a cool take that it, it comes from the the lens of like man was fundamentally not evil and, and didn't start evil, but because of what's happened over time, you know, he becomes evil in the in the systems and society that he creates. And that's so different than the typical like metal misanthropy of just like humans are shit inherently. And I think it's cool to have that kind of more optimistic take on the state of things. Um, from Halford, yeah. so I, I really enjoy that that angle. And Halford always says that he has always been an optimistic person, no matter what. Like there were interviews of him regarding this, like lawsuit thing with "Better by You, Better Than Me." He was often questioned about the uh, lyrical themes and tendencies, and he confirmed and reconfirmed that that how they were actually thematically bunch of optimistic people at this he was as we you were saying that uh, the overall theme of the song stained glass is man isn't uh, inherently evil it's the same about the whole album i guess the theme also comes in uh, different songs of this album like savage like i hope i get to talk about that song soon someday it, it also says a similar thing that people mm-hmm. were in one place and they were quote-unquote transformed into like being something else Uh, we'll talk about that later but yeah that's the recurring theme of this album like human good you greedy motherfuckers bad (laughs) and i love that because it i mean that lens of optimism implies that things could change for better too and i i like that spin uh especially in a genre that can be very pessimistic if we don't think that things can get better, then what are we even doing? You know, yeah. like what would even be the point of going on? Like you have to have at least some level of optimism to continuing to exist. Yeah. yeah. And now that I think about it, it's not that this genre is supposed to be giving the message that people are shit or things are shit, but it unless you're be listening to Slipknot. Because then they're literally <laughs> telling you people equal shit. 
<laughs> I don't. I really don't listen to Slipknot much for a reason. Me either. <laughs> But it, actually, what happens is that things make are making people shit, and we should be calling out those. And I think Judas Priest pretty much does that. Yeah, I agree, and that's one of the things that that I love about them. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it goes back to you and I talking about that empowerment that we felt with heavy metal. Like you don't feel empowered without hope. And I I love that Judas Priest is a band that makes me feel hopeful. Me too. Like it justifies your anger and lets you like have a hope that you can make things better. All right, I'm in the mood to hear Stained Class right now. Me too. It's only twelve o four. We need some heavy metal. Yeah. Oh shit. Well, we passed two minutes to midnight a whole six minutes ago. So let's go. is a sick song i agree with you and you notice those little details the more you listen to it like how in the chorus each line has a nice little drum fill after it that was binks he's kind of a master of doing impressive things without being show-offy because you Mm -hmm. might miss it if you're not paying attention but if you are then you hear it and it's like oh that was cool yeah, he filled the he fills the negative space really well, and I love that the vocals are a call and response. You know, it's multiple vocal tracks going on, and the thing I love most about the chorus is that his voice is so huge on the chorus. It sounds like a multi-track choir, but I think it's just two vocal layers. <laughs> but it sounds like this big booming chorus. Um, but his voice is just so powerful on its own, like with one or two tracks going it sounds huge which is really impressive for the late 70s yeah i guess in live versions glenn used to pair with halford to sing the second part of the uh, vocals right i guess i saw a video i don't remember exactly i don't think i've ever watched a live version of this one now that i think about it they haven't done it very much yeah Mm -hmm. It was a very dingy, uh, like video, and I guess I watched it around like late 
uh, 2000s, like a long time ago. But yeah, well, then the video more. must have been from the 70s when the mm-hmm. album came out. But yeah, yeah, so. I know in recent years, the the kind of less obvious track they play off this one is Saints in Hell. Can't think of when they might have played State. Another class. good one. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is Ian, my favorite Priest yeah. album, so. <laughs> Richie and Ian do backup vocals nowadays. Yeah. Back then, probably was Gwen. So what do we think about these lyrics? Wild-eyed and tight-fisted. I'm fused to the bone. A lot of metaphor in there. I stand contemplating, reacting alone, paled with betrayal. So it's kind of hard to say exactly what's going on, but you can get the sense that there's something really weighing heavily on this narrator's mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when he brings in society's creation is where it really starts to take form and and get to that idea of it's 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 nurture, not nature, that makes man the way he is. Mm-hmm. And I guess this, uh, like being wild-eyed and tight-fisted, and these uh, f- very physical uh, depictions are g- given to like how a person is hurt and you know injured. Every single thing, like tourniquets, pull legs impaled getting impaled all of that is really graphic depiction of how a person was physically and mentally hurt mm-hmm. by the grand society right there's an extreme yeah. level of anger in wild-eyed tight-fisted where a person's just so angry it's making their body react their fists clench up their eyes widen and it lends itself to this sort of violent imagery that you're pointing out impaled tourniquet full axe and burnt and i think it's really appropriate because i mean this is debatable but in my opinion this is like the hardest song on the album musically like the hardest and heaviest Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like it's it's an angry song (laughs) it really is sizably angry song yeah i remember the first time i listened to the album stained class in full and i got to this one the title track and it just kind of knocked me off of my chair like holy shit this song rocks yeah and i didn't know about it before i listened to the album in full because like you were saying hattie they don't really play it live a whole lot kind of unfortunate the heaviest fuck song just like you said Allie. and Jews priest in their later career gets really heavy i mean there's people that feel like painkiller and ram it down kind of came out of nowhere but when you go back to songs like this you can see like judas priest going full throttle at some point was inevitable for sure and i guess another reason for that is because people mostly i have seen as much uh, start listening to judas priest from painkiller and onwards that's why they think like yeah that's the oldest album or whatever but Mm. they have been like this they always wanted to be this and then they started becoming this from uh stained class i'd say and they kept building up on that except for a few times they expanded in different directions yeah i've heard critics of painkiller people who aren't big priest fans say like well they were just copying what speed metal bands were doing in the 80s and just taking influence from people they influenced. And I don't really agree with that. I think the blueprints always been there. Even as back 
as far as Sad Wings of Destiny, there's some heavier stuff on that album. But they've always had that potential. Like Painkiller is songs like this, just modernized for the early 90s. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, you can pick out plenty of examples of some really heavy material in early Judas Priest. And you can kind of tell the only reason it isn't even heavier is because of the technological limitations of the time where they just didn't know how to make those sounds yet. Logical and, you know, when in, in the earlier times when they were still a new band, there were possibly uh, decisions involved by the people in suits, as I always, always find reasons to bring them in and like trash them. Here it is once again. Like if you go too obscure, you might be dropped or might not be uh, accepted by the general audience. So you have yeah. to keep it low. And, and that's that definitely might also be a reason. Yeah, that's important context for a band like Judas Priest because like. I know comparing them to Maiden is so, it's kind of cliche, but like Maiden always was able to do their thing because they never really had in the early days that mainstream visibility and they were, they still grew most of their fans in kind of like a more grassroots kind of way. They didn't have the same label support, the same video support, famously not supported by MTV, et cetera. Whereas Jews Priest comes from an older industry than Maiden does, you know, by several years and had that major label backing that radio play, that video play. They actively wanted to be on the radio, and they sought that out, and they tried to write at least one song on each album that they thought had a better chance of getting on the radio. And and Maiden may have eclipsed them in popularity at at some point later down the line, but that's not how it was in the early days. Um, or in the 80s. Judas Priest was at their height in the early 80s of popularity. I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't get considered for Top Gun being being (laughs) an underground band, you know what I mean? Very true. Right. How about some more of the song? like how high rob's vocals go in that second verse oh yeah and i i just i mean this is such a great song to demonstrate just what a deadly player of lead players kk and glenn were slash r the lead playing on this song is just fucking phenomenal yeah i think glenn is doing uh more of the leads than kk 
Mm-hmm. This is one of the songs that wasn't written by all three. It's actually just Halford and Tipton. So I got to imagine Tipton gives himself the solo in his own song. <laughs> but KK and Gwen do trade off some licks later in the solo. Yeah, I guess I get to feel some of KK, like signature KK stuff like in the solo. And then there is this newly... I mean, not necessarily literally, but the plenty stuff that Glenn does. Yeah, that guitar part after the first verse was really cool. It does sound like Glenn to me. He is a cleaner player. Yeah, and he yeah, builds totally. off that theme lead that comes up throughout the 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 one that the song starts on. I love how he takes that and uses that to build into his solo. That uh, I always think that's a great, cool like thing that Lee players candy. do. Yeah, he's unraveling it, right? <laughs> it's super yeah. cool. Um, like and then candy, Daddy? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put Glenn's lead style. And I love in the lyrics, this is really getting to like that hope piece. I love how it's like a call to action. Fierce is my co- conviction, absolute my belief. And then he says, I spit at you, apathy, the seducer, deceit. Like, He's saying, you know, you have to fight what has become and you have to change what has become. And apathy is not, you can't just not give a shit. You have to do something about it. And I love that. Yeah, totally. Like, disrupt, bitch. You had it coming. And, and calling apathy a seducer is such an evocative image because it is seductive. You know, like, yeah. I could, I could deliver myself from all these issues by just not caring and just whatever comes comes but i i love that he he sees that as temptation and ultimately a trap in this uh, like colonial uh values we have like even though we are not in colonialism anymore but in truth capitalism is neocolonialism that we all feel now and here we are often taught this value that if you are not being wrong if you just keep your eyes and mouths shut, things are going to be okay. Nobody's yeah. going to be coming after you, which is definitely not uh, correct, but that's what we are raised with. Like this is the value our teachers teach, uh, teach us, our parents teach us, because they are also educated with these same values. Yeah. And that's what is being called out here. And lest we forget, it is done by a Brit. The people who actually introduced this belief around the world. And I will never stop saying that as a Saltation person myself, we were colonized by Brits for 200 years. So take that, Charles. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's great perspective. I really appreciate that. And you hit the nail on the head. They They tell us, keep your head down and you'll be fine. And that's really not the way it works. Not really. And, you know, living in the U.S. as well as I do, that apathy is a very big thing politically. I think less than half of voting age people are actually registered to vote. And we all know that voting is not as effective as it should be. It's not very effective in resolving systemic issues at all. But even so, so few people even choose to take part in the system because of the faith that they've lost in it. Exactly the same thing I was discussing with my dad last night in our dinner table. 
representatives of two political parties in our country, they started fighting. So this opposition party we have, like they are saying that our election is unfair and all that. And they were trying to say things uh, about that prime minister of ours. Anyway, so we were talking about that news and U.S. kind of has this kind of lobbying going on like this opposition have hired lobbyists to you know overthrow our current, current government and all that. And they were saying things about democracy is not being hold and all sort of criticisms about our democracy. And our prime minister apparently called out on that and yours have like people vote there which is true like who the fuck are we to criticize people barely uh, have this thing for voting in u.s like we see like here election is a big deal even if it's rigged even if whatever is happening i'm not making any commentary but we have like a whole drive to like cast our votes even not just in Bangladesh, it's the same in India or Pakistan. Wherever you go, you will see people are very excited to vote. Uh, we are generally very overzealous about our democratic rights and all, but it's not the same in the U.S. And still they consider themselves to be the epitome of democracy. That's the biggest joke. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you put it perfectly. It's a It's a joke for the United States to claim any title to representative democracy it's it's oligarchy it's a sham okay and we you know make fun of russia like what's the difference Putin yeah. and not Putin. we're in really no place to be on a high horse about really much of anything <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's a good good way to put it <laughs> yeah we are we are definitely in unprecedented times that's for sure Okay. A little more of stained class, do you think? Yes, please. Yeah, because I want to talk about vipers. Fucking solo right there. Oh, yeah. Every single time it gets me. This song just goes so hard. <laughs> it's like, this is like yeah. the heaviest shit in the world for 78. And you can almost forget because it happens right before the solo. There's a crushingly heavy riff, the one that goes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that part is awesome. And I love this last verse. And why I said I wanted to talk about vipers is because I feel like the viper metaphor is like one of Rob Halford's favorites. <laughs> it comes up fairly often in their discography. And I think this Deadly is the as early... the viper peering from yeah. its coil. Jawbreaker, uh, I think on Snakebite as well. Uh, there's probably some other ones, but this is the earliest example. And I just, Viper is just such a great word. Like, um, euphonically, it has, it has euf- euphony to it. And uh, the image is just great. And then it's also, you know, somewhat queer coded too. So I like that as well. <laughs> yes. Well, his lust snapped like Vipers. Well, I mean, there's something in there. Yeah, <laughs> especially when the next song that uses it is Jawbreaker. I mean, come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. His lust snapped like vipers whose fangs sank in deep to infest and decay from the core. Damn, Damn. that's a line. That's a yeah. lot of words for one line, by the way. And that that verse is cool because he alters the vocal melody and gets into this like fast rhythm where instead of like pausing the melody in between the uh the verse riffs he just like wraps it around the turnaround and keeps going and forms a second vocal line and it's just a really cool variation late in the song and also just a little impressive vocal lick very unique and he's using sort of a high voice the kind you would hear in defenders of the faith on songs like freewheel and sentinel mm-hmm so he I always guess. kind of had that metal singing in him, and he's using it to great effect here. Yeah. Like the vocal range that is happened in this song. Like it is like really possibly difficult for him now, like with this yeah. uh, recovery and everything and age. Yeah. I, I, bet think, it is I don't think he song. goes, he doesn't really go low at any point in this song because even the chorus, which is the lowest vocal harmony, is still pretty much in his mid range. So this is a very, a very like I guess you could say showboaty song for him. Like this one, he's flexing. Yeah, I think maybe they could play it if they reworked it. But you know, do you want to compromise as an artist is a reasonable question. So like, yeah, do I change the song so I can play it, or do I just leave it alone? You know? Yeah, they've certainly got enough to fill out their set list. <laughs> very true. So good. And Alicia, as our resident guitarist on the panel today, give me your thoughts on the guitar playing in this song, your impressions of it. Yeah, I mean, the lead playing continues to be great. I think that's KK at the end with that solo. And uh, I'm, I'm terrible at telling who's who's soloing when, but I think that's him. Fantastically playing throughout the song, both the solos and the, and the kind of theme leads that go throughout it. And just as far as riffs go, I mean, this song has the riffs in it for me. It's the it's the peak rhythm guitar song for 70s Priest for my money. Well, that's a ring endorsement if I ever heard one. What are you getting out of these words? Lethal, deadly, hung, drawn, and quartered. He slaughtered and faltered and altered the world. But by doing so, smashed all his hopes and utopian dreams. Yeah, it's such a powerful image at the end there. I mean, I know I said a little bit about it already, but just to your point, I mean, you've got like a sexual metaphor, a violence metaphor. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a metaphor for him personally, like you were talking about. And, and then it also applies to the overall theme of the song about like power and society. It's just a really great example, this song, I think, of how 
thoughtful Rob can be because Judas Priest can get silly at times for sure. <laughs> but oh yeah, yeah, and and a lot of times they do like more fantasy oriented stuff, which I love, and I, I think he's great at that. But like here lyrically, again, this this song is really a flex for Rob, you know, because he's got mm-hmm. this complex thought process going through like Hattie was talking about all these different lyrical devices and for overall like you know a, a very kind of profound message that i think was especially potent in the 70s where there was a lot of turning points in society for better or worse you know the 70s into the 80s is a critical time period not that they're all not critical time periods but there's there's a certain especially someone from england and and everything a certain yeah, shifting was- of yeah cashier's time so things were hard for them like yeah that's another thing i always trash that bitch from her catcher if you're listening from hell no hi to you she doesn't seem like a metalhead she's not listening she's so. too busy charting down the furnaces in hell <laughs> <laughs> so there's definitely obviously some of Rob seeing what's going on in the world around him and countries that are having revolutions. And in here, there's something of the warning in a revolution where your intention is good to not become corrupt with the power that you soon find yourself in if you're victorious and to not become the very thing that you hate. Like I get that out of words like he slaughtered and faltered and altered the world. But by doing so, smashed all his hopes and utopian dreams so the utopia that this leader dreamed of well the utopia didn't turn out to happen then the end of this verse where it says decay from the core it to me that's a direct reference to coming into power and eventually letting it corrupt you and not being able to really follow through with the values that you wanted to instill in the world well, as Joseph Stalin said, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. It's kind of funny. I see this as like a great metaphor for the United States, even though he's speaking from an English perspective. Universal themes of, of yeah, corruption of power. Universal theme of power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always the same. Colonialism never like really died down. It just changed phases and changed like the power block. Yeah. Who wants to finish up this song? Let's do it. Let's do it.
they really go off at the end on the lead guitar. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Even though this is only a little over five minutes, this song, it feels like an epic to me. It's about mm-hmm. a really intense subject. It goes a lot of places musically. It's got a lot of crazy guitar parts. Honestly, like they pack a lot in five minutes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. It is a, a dense song. Also, to the point of the vocals, I, I just noticed right now that the lowest note he hits in the song is right at the end, the ending note. And I think that's just kind of funny that he's like, all right, I got to throw I got to throw my low range at least once. And that's a cool <laughs> like juxtaposition with how high the song is to just like go right into his low range at the end and really with that big booming resonance. Oops. And, you know, as I forgot to mention, like, how this whole thing can also, like, totally be, you know, referenced with the closeted LGBTQA uh, community back then, like, how you were repressed, and you were repressed so hard that as, like, the 70s and 80s party culture, when people, these secret parties that had had like very hard drugs and all that like they went like totally on another direction and how it kind of shattered their dream of like having this uh, serene life as a human being that they hope they'd have and um, many of them before them were like ostracized to the point of ultimate ending like Oscar Wilde and all that which happened beforehand and they thought that they would take themselves in a better place than this but they couldn't but they had this anger and it attacked it, uh, the system in a different weapon they had metaphorically but ultimately it crushed their dreams of having this serene time and in, they ended up being this extremely excited people on drugs and all that this yeah. just came up to me like i'm not sure if it might uh-huh. be a thing i think that's an important read of any old judas priest honestly like taking a a queer reading to it um Mm -hmm. knowing what we know about rob halford and knowing that this is like 15 years before he came out something like that 12 to 15 years um and the yeah the closeted oh 20 years a young person then like in his 20s so he was like yeah and uh he was to the 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 closeted experience back then oh wow that's exactly 20 years wow so he's still got uh, out of Judas Priest at that point doing his solo career and he was in some interview on MTV I believe and he just let it drop and he said well it's out there now. What an icon. (laughs) I love him. (laughs) (laughs) And he really didn't make it a big deal about him. Instead he made it a a deal about how this thing should be normalized. Like not about like I'm this but more like this is this. I'm bi, we closed it in my own community and everywhere, however, yeah. but yeah, uh, Halford presented and everything, it really made me like feel secure that there are people who are not doing it for themselves, they're doing it for others. Yeah, I agree. His 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 coming out was such a step towards normalization and, and iconic, honestly. Some celebrities do fumble it when they do it. But I think he nailed it. Totally. That's why he's an icon, not just a metal icon, but also a queer icon in metal. Yeah. I mean, he brought the metal imagery that is like specifically from the kink community 
into yeah. heavy metal. And I love when people are just like unaware of that. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know yeah, where you that comes hum- from. Yeah, like, I guess you could be homophobic and and be into metal, but I got news about your your leather whips and chains, there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really funny. Okay, well, here's a quick bonus. If you want to hear what this song sounded like 23 years later, oh, this is him doing it with his solo band, 2001. Screaming heavy metal! You want some Judas Priest? It's a stained glass! I think that just goes to show how yeah. much the song fits in with the rest of Judas Priest's set. And in a modern context, it does sound quite heavy as well. So, yeah, yeah I think it hits a nail on the head, Alicia. And it Imagine sounds uh, Ricky, Ricky and Andy doing this like they would get burned the stage. Yeah, it's cool because I that's cool that he picked that for his solo tour. What a deep cut to to pull out as a Judas Priest song on his solo tour, but it really fits in with his solo material, which is, which is definitely more in that heavy mid paced range. Um, and speaking of great guitar players like Roy Z, I mean, come on, that dude's a legend. He is interesting because he's worked with Halford and Dickinson and those mm-hmm. two, they had solo careers around the same time. And it's eerie how just how much stuff lined up the same way for them. It really did. <laughs> 
man, I, I don't know. I, I I love both their solo careers, and in a lot of ways, I think some of the albums that both Halford and Dickinson did were superior in a lot of ways to many of the albums they did with their mainline bands. Resurrection and Crucible are dope as fuck. And then there are some that I don't like as much in Halford's solo catalog, but maybe at some point we'll touch on a few of the highlights because yeah, there are, are some. The, yeah. Those are the only two I've listened to. So, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, well, I'm still recovering. Stuff from that uh, Christmas song Halford did. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is only like there's like one famous metal singer Christmas song I like and it's uh, it's it's Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio doing uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. For some reason that works for me. <laughs> Alicia, tell the listeners where they can find you. Absolutely. Um, so the best place to follow me is just my personal Twitter because I don't believe in band Twitters. I have too many bands to have different Twitters. Um, and that's Allian Chains, A-L-L-I-E underscore N underscore Chains is my Twitter handle. And all my music can be found on Bandcamp. That's Transgressive, Raystorm, Project Roan Wolf, uh, and I'm sure more to come. Uh, mostly on Bandcamp, but everything is on all your assorted streaming services as well. Your Spotify's, your, I don't know, any other streaming services. Um, <laughs> just, uh, in the usual, yeah, in the usual places you find music. Um, I use Bandcamp, so that's where I mostly hub myself out of. But yeah, that is where you can find me and all the things. Awesome. And thank you again so much for coming on board and lending us all your knowledge about Priest, about the metal community and what's going on in the world today. I had a fantastic time hanging out with you. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate both of you, um, everything that you guys do and just as friends and members of the community as well. So really had fun and so great to be here and wishing you guys the best. Thank you so much. Like, I was really excited to, like, have this talk with you after recording this episode. Like, and I think I had time of my life. And I hope oh, we awesome. can, we get to, like, talk again someday soon. Like, it was so much fun. That's all the heavy metal chatter we've got for this episode of Judas Briscast. So until next time. Keep defending the faith. Okay, Metal Maniacs, here is a song for you from Alicia. This is her band project, Rowan Wolf, and the song is called Boundless. Enjoy! The pace of repression outstrips our ability to understand it. And that is the real trick of the Imperial Thought Machine. It's easier to hide behind 40 atrocities than a single incident. But they have a fight on their hands. 